Your favorite PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors are right here every week on Next on the Tee. Join Chris as the greats of the game share their stories, insights and playing lessons. Now, back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Debbie Doniger. Let me give you some more background on Debbie. She played her college golf at the University of North Carolina from 1989 to 1992, and she captained the team in her junior and senior seasons. She won the 1992 ACC Championship, shooting rounds of 73, 73, 74, a three-round total of 220 at Bermuda Run Country Club in advanced North Carolina. She helped lead the Tar Heels to the team title by two strokes over Florida State. She was selected to the All-ACC team that year. She was one of five college seniors to represent the U.S. in the World University Golf Championship, and she won the individual bronze medal. She was named to the ACC's 50th anniversary women's golf team in 2003 as one of the best women golfers in the conference over its first 50 years. After college, she played on the Futures Tour, the Gold Coast Tour, and the European Tour. In 2015, Golf Digest ranked her as the fifth best teacher in the state of New York and top 50 in the country. She's also been named a top 20 teacher under 40. She is one of Golf Magazine's top 100 teachers in America. And if all of that wasn't enough, she is the director of golf instruction at Glen Arbor Golf Club up in Bedford, New York. And she hosts two golf shows on SiriusXM's PGA channel, The Golfer Girls with Natalie Gilbus and Golfer's Edge with Ben Shear. And I am honored she is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Debbie. Thanks for coming on the show. Jeez, what an intro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so you've back, done a lot. Listen. <laughs> All good. So, Thank you so much for having me. So, uh, Debbie, as, as I was doing the research and checking out your website, DebbieDoniger.com, I read that you started playing golf at the age of seven. What got you playing golf at seven? <clears throat> um, so, I grew up in Connecticut and right around where Kessler, your next guest, uh, is from. And we went out uh, to California every vacation with my family. I had my grandparents lived out in California. So I played a bunch of sports and just started playing golf at age seven. And by the time I was 12 years old, I decided that that was it. This is my passion in life. And, you know, would I have ever thought that you dated me in that intro, <laughs> that in my 40s I would be um, still in golf in a different capacity, not playing the tour, but... Uh, I never would have imagined that I would be able to do what I do, love what I do. I'm sure Peter is surprised as well because he knew me as a child growing up uh, up here in the Northeast. But, yeah, I was definitely single-minded by the time I was 12, 13, and, and was able to forge relationships within the golf industry that has led me to where I am today. So I've been very fortunate and very lucky. And, Debbie, as a junior golfer, you work with Jim McClain. So, boy, right to the top with respect to instructor, uh, instructors. What was it like for you working with him? Right. So that, that really is, is huge. It's huge in a lot of ways. Uh, one, Jim, when I started working with him, I was 12 years old at Quaker Ridge Golf Club in Scarsdale, which is a great club. Uh, Jim was probably, you know, maybe one or two in the Met section, which is the New York section, uh, as but wasn't heralded around the world as he is today. But he certainly was one of the best. And my parents were able to find out where he was, who was the best in our area. And Jim and I, um, you know, had 
a great run for a very, very long time. Um, I think that I was rooted in correct basics, uh, correct fundamentals. He taught me how to play the game. He was not only a teacher but a coach and, you know, just a very good friend and a mentor. And then subsequently, when I stopped playing for a living, uh, he became my boss and really trained me uh, how to teach and what to look for. So Jim falls under this huge umbrella for me as, you know, obviously my main mentor and somebody so important in my life, and there is absolutely no way that I would have the playing accolades that I have, that I would be able to play to this day the way I do with no practice whatsoever. You know, you and I, and I could shoot nothing. And um, also be able to teach the way I do and, and understand what to look for with all levels of players. So, you know, Jim, when I was 12 years old, let me tell you something. When you see on social media, uh, you know, teachers saying, wow, we didn't really understand how important center contact was until launch monitors came along. I am here to tell you that 30 years ago, we absolutely knew center contact was imperative. We were using indelible markers. We were using impact tape. And it wasn't just Jim. It was teachers of that ilk. So sometimes when you see things um, in modern-day teaching and it seems earth-shattering with these amazing teachers that I have been able to now call friends, um, you know, the, the, the fundamental center contact uh, was being taught way back when. So I think that I was really ahead of the game uh, in terms of, of understanding what I needed to do as a player to be really great. So you mentioned a minute ago that he taught you how to play the game. When you say play the game, is that, is that the fundamentals that you're mentioning, or was that strategy, how to course manage? What, what do you mean by he taught you how to play the game? Yeah, that's a good point. So not only were we, was I, um, you know, he helped me with all my technical aspects, my mechanics, um, the right grip for me you know, because everybody's built differently, uh, the parameters that I was able to swing in to play good golf, but playing course management-wise. I mean, Jim and I would be on the course, you know, till it got dark, and I would be running around chasing after my ball, but also playing with him. He would always play with me. So I would learn how to play. He was a great player in his own right. And different little shots and different nuances. And like you said, course management, where to, you know, the rudimentary things, where to tee off on a tee box, what kind of shot am I going to play, uh, how to minimize the highest score possible from, from a very basic level to then when I was playing for a living to a very detailed professional level, you know, because then it becomes that much more important, the shots that you save on, on the golf course. So he's the all-around, not only consummate professional, but the all-around great teacher, could teach all aspects of the game and really well. So, Debbie, how, how does a girl growing up in New York and playing junior golf in New York and winning everything as a junior in New York decide to play her college golf at North Carolina? I was – so you're allowed five recruiting trips. Uh, I did not play on my high school team because only the boys could play. I didn't want to play with the boys. I also, you know, wanted – uh, to play for a living and play golf in college. So my fifth recruiting trip uh, was either going to be to UCLA or North Carolina. 
And I had talked to the UCLA coach. I didn't like the four schools I had gone to visit. It was like, I can't see myself here. So if I don't like Chapel Hill, that's it. I'm just going to go to UCLA. She had already signed either one or two of my peers, and, and UCLA was going to be a top, top team. It already was. I liked the coach. Done deal. I didn't really know much about North Carolina or Chapel Hill because, like you said, people from this area, especially – you know, 25 plus years ago, nobody went to North Carolina. Nobody would got into Chapel Hill, let alone would, you know, sort of go south. And also, remember, this is 20, 25 years ago where I was really considered uh, a dork. And, you know, nobody was playing golf. Everybody was like field hockey and lacrosse and soccer. So it was just a very strange time. But I found solace and friendships on the AJGA and, of course, my little circle of junior golfers in the Met section. And then I took my trip to North Carolina. I got off the plane in Raleigh-Durham. I saw the national championships that Carolina had won, that Duke had won. And I said, oh, that's interesting. That's kind of cool and cool school spirit, team spirit. And my coach was there to pick me up and my dad was with me and she's the, was the sweetest, nicest person. Um, and then we were driving towards campus. I see these huge blue tar heels on the road, these amazing, beautiful green trees. It was like a perfect Carolina blue sky. And I said, that's it. We're done. I don't even need to get out of the car. We are done. <laughs> and then my teammates were just awesome. I mean, I had the best recruiting trip and just signed on the dotted line. I graduated high school early, six months, uh, worked with Jim, and was like, let's just go. It was the absolute greatest time, one of the greatest times of my life. So take us back to the 1992 ACC championship. What was it like for you, not only winning the event as an individual, but also helping the team win the conference championship as well? The ACCs, by my senior year, had just come back into fruition, and I remember it was like a goal. Like I wrote it down, uh, literally, with my sports psychologist, um, said that that was my goal. I wanted to win ACCs and just uh, did it. Uh, I remember specifically in that round I had four-putted, I don't know, in the beginning of my last round, and I just can remember to this day just being very emotionally level, even keeled, like whatever, it's still good. Um, the course was a really tough course. And when I had sunk the putt on the last hole, my main goal was like, oh, my gosh, did we win as a team? Like I totally forgot, you know, I wanted to win the title, but I saw my teammates there, and I was like, did we win, did we win? And we did win, and that was the most, most exciting part. And, of course, you know, capturing the individual crown because it was a goal was so cool, but I was just so excited to win as a team. I mean, college golf, to be in an individual sport like golf – and for any of your listeners who have kids that play very seriously or, you know, just play in general, it's a loner sport. And so to be a part of a team, which you then are a part of, if you do have the opportunity to play D1, D2, or D3, you know, you get that sort of other aspect in an individual sport, and there's nothing better I, unless you choose the only caveat would be if you choose the wrong team and the wrong coach, of which I have had students do that, and, and then it's a different scenario. And it makes me very upset because my experience was so phenomenal that when I see mistakes being made, you know, it's just, gosh, you don't get those years back, so you just sort of have to right the ship in your own way, and that's tough. 
A couple more on your time at North Carolina. But after you guys win the ACC championship, where, where was this celebration? Where did you guys go to, to uh, celebrate what you guys just accomplished? Oh, my gosh. I have no idea. I think that we were such a simple team. I'm sure we just, like, celebrated right there on the golf course. <laughs> I, I am not sure we did anything other than, like, go out to dinner. We were a very close-knit team, and I think we probably just got ready for nationals. I mean, it's like one and done. Like, yeah, let's go, but, like, let's go to nationals. Let's go try and win. And you mentioned four-putting at the beginning of that round, right? So in a team competition, right, every, every stroke counts. So do you, do you, as the captain of the team, did you ever have to talk to the team or did your coach ever have to talk to the team like, look, if your round is going south, right, don't let it go completely south, right? Don't let a, don't let a 78 turn into an 82 or an 82 turn into an 85 because one or two of those shots might be the difference between us winning, you know, winning this tournament or, or losing, did you ever have to have that competition? Like, you know, mentally, don't go south on us. I think that inherently, if you're playing D1 golf, you're so rooted from junior golf that, that you know, even though five of you are traveling, four scores count. And your coach is pretty much giving you keys as to how important you are in terms of the rest of the day if we have one of our players that can't get off the roller coaster and it's just horrendous. So, you know, it's, it's a fine line between you don't want to get too result-oriented while you're out on the course and put too much pressure on yourself, as certainly as a college player, to say, oh, my gosh, I can't make any bogeys. But also as a coach, you want to give information when appropriate to your players to say, look, you know, we need you right now. You, like, we're, we're up to four. We got a player out there that's dying, not literally. But um, so, you know, look, coaching is tough. And especially in today's day and age, um, golf is so prolific and booming that winning is is uh, paramount to some of these programs more so than others. So, you know, coaching has changed and college golf has changed. Uh, in my day, it wasn't as cutthroat. Now it really is. And I mean, look, I've never, I can't believe that nationals is being televised on Golf Channel. They just had a whole huge expose on the regionals uh, for men and women's golf. I think that's amazing. You have Ricky Fowler, executive producing a show called Driven, which is following OSU golf all the way to nationals. So, I mean, college golf is 100% healthy, and uh, especially junior girls golf, I'm sorry, it's very healthy. So when I hear numbers and, and naysayers and negativity, I just the, the numbers that I see don't support that. And Debbie, when when you're working with students, right, and you've had some, you know, students go on to play college golf and beyond and that sort of thing, how do, how do you instill in them how to deal with pressure? You talked about having a mental coach earlier, but how do you get your folks to relax out on the golf course, try not to let the pressure get to them, and if it's starting to get to them, how to relieve the pressure? Well, that's a good question. I mean, look, if it's necessary, I have to bring in uh, a mental performance coach or a sports psychologist or whatever you want to call that person. And I've got about five in the back or the palm of my hand for my students, depending on their personalities. I, of course, work with them on the course, 
but you know the bottom line is but it's really hard as a kid to understand that it's not life or death you're going to shoot 80 who cares nobody's dying i mean certainly as adults we have way more perspective than we do as as kids so if we can instill any kind of perspective and anything can happen in golf and that i hate to take the title from rotella although he is a friend of mine, golf is not a game of perfect. It is inconsistent. It is okay to be inconsistent and uh, to understand that anything can happen. You can never give up. And, you know, playing one shot at a time while everybody says it, if you can get lost in that fact, that is a beautiful way to play. And, you know, you have to learn to enjoy yourself. I think one thing that Peter Jacobson, who I've known also since I'm a kid, if you don't have a real intrinsic love for the game of golf as a junior, then it is really hard to ride the lows because there will be big-time lows. And you got to love the game for what it is. Otherwise, you can't really ride those lows really well. There's peaks and valleys in, in all athletics. So, you know, I think it's just – Understanding the family dynamics, maybe you have to have a talk with the parents. That's always not so easy. And then understanding the kid that's in front of you and, um, you know, really the personality to try and, and get the best out of them in a very, very tough sport. Debbie, just a couple more before we let you go. And I want to I want to get a tip for our listeners because you've got so many great tips on your website. Again, DebbieDoniger.com. And the, the first one I want to talk about is hip rotation. And most players set up to the ball with their feet square to the target line. And for players my age, and I'm in my early 50s, or anyone for that matter, you know, who want to get a little more hip rotation, talk about what flaring our feet out can do for us. Well, flaring your feet is just a cheat. It's giving you internal hip rotation. It's giving you external hip rotation. So narrowing your stance and flaring your toes, whatever many degrees you need, 5, 10, 12 degrees, depending on what your teacher tells you, is literally allowing your hips to turn uh, a little bit more if needed. And also narrowing your stance helps you rotate more as well. If you think about it, just like a wide stance, you can't, you know, it's going to hinder rotation. So the narrower you get and you flare a little, you know, you get a little toe flare, that's an immediate hip rotation uh, key. And it's in your setup, so then you don't have to think about it. And, Debbie, as a result of the years playing the game and being outside exposed to the sun, you developed skin cancer. Talk about how you found out what you went through and what you're doing now to prevent it. Oh, I didn't know you were going to talk about that. So I did a, I did a testimony for my dermatologist, Dr. Whitney Bowe, and her book, The Beauty of Dirty Skin. And I have had four, actually one was a squamous. So I'm going to say three basal cells on my face and had to have uh, four Mohs, M-O-H-S, surgeries. And, you know, look, I'm in my 40s. I don't really care what people think anymore. And so I think it's really important to talk about because if you see my website, if you see me on Instagram, you would have no idea that I've had skin cancer and these crazy surgeries and stitches and 
Look, I think some of it's in my DNA. If I had worn sunblock when I was 12 through all through college and professional golf, would I have had these skin cancers? I don't know if you could say yes or no. Um, it's not genetic. My family doesn't have skin cancer. That's a little strange. The fact that I've had four and I'm in my 40s is strange. Um, you know, the sun is the only key that, that we can harp on to think, well, what do we do about it? So, uh, Dr. Bo, and she's a personal friend of mine as well, has been able to uh, give me some vitamins, probiotics that deal with skin health uh, that I wouldn't have otherwise known. She's also given me a vitamin called HelioCare, which anybody can get at Walgreens, and it's uh, there's a fern extract in there, again, scientifically proven to mitigate skin cancer. So everything that she's given me, she's ridiculously smart. Um, she it ruthlessly researches it. You know, she talks all over the world. So it's scientifically based uh, protocols that she's given me, as well as sunblock, obviously. I do laser treatments. Uh, I do whatever it takes to not have this happen again. And my kids are very aware of the importance of sunblock. And, you know, look, she sees more tennis, sailing, and golf uh, skin cancers than any other sport, and it's all, you know, even you in your 50s, um, you know, you just have to stay on top of it. It's like anything. If you catch it early, you should be fine. If you ignore it and you want to be in denial and then it happens, it's not so good. So the key is talk about it. Go get your skin checked. Uh, I would go to somebody who has really good technology, not just a glance over. I've been to enough dermatologists that sort of gloss over, and they're like, yeah, you're fine. It's not fine. There's more technology out there to really look inside something that bothers you. And if something bothers you, you need to speak up and be your own advocate. Debbie, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's you know, on your website, on the air, or over social media as well? Oh, thanks, man. Look, I'm not great at social media. I'm trying to get better at it. <laughs> but anybody can contact me at DebbieDoniger.com. I do teach outside lessons, like you said, at Glen Arbor Golf Club. It's what I do now. I teach for a living. Um, and you can follow me at Debbie Doniger on Twitter. It's at Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, Doniger, D-O-N-I-G-E-R, on Instagram. And listen to our show on Sirius. We're on Thursday nights from 8 to 10. I'm with my co-host. He's one of my close, close friends. And we marry what the body does and what the swing does and, and try and help everybody form, dictates, function. So it's a different sort of way of looking at it and very individualized, which is the way I think golf instruction is going. So that is where you can find me. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show. A thousand other questions I'd love to ask you. I hope you'll come back and do it again sometime because you've been fantastic. Oh, it's my pleasure. Sit, tell PK, I know he's after me, that I say hi and anytime. All right, Debbie. Take care. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you again real soon. All right. Thanks, man. You too. All right. See you, Debbie. That's Debbie Doniger, and uh, again, her website is DebbieDoniger.com, D-O-N-I-G-E-R, Debbie Doniger. And, uh, boy, you want to talk about some great stories, some great tips, some great insights. She's got some great videos on her site, and, uh, boy, I sure hope we get the opportunity to catch up with her soon because, like I said, i got about a 1,000 other questions I had here to talk to her about, and hopefully we get the opportunity to do that.
That's Debbie Doniger, and uh, again, her website is debbiedoniger.com, D-O-N-I-G-E-R, Debbie Doniger. And, uh, boy, you want to talk about some great stories, some great tips, some great insights. She's got some great videos on her site, and, uh, boy, I sure hope we get the opportunity to catch up with her soon because, like I said, i got about a 1,000 other questions I had here to talk to her about, and hopefully we get the opportunity to do that. Before I get to my next guest, Peter Kessler, I want to give a shout-out to a few of our sponsors. First, folks, you've heard me talking about Clubhub sensors over the last several months. Well, it's the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out there on the market. Other shot trackers tell you what happened. Clubhub's going to tell you what happened and why. Take the progress that you make on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that can go on the course with you. I have club hub sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right into the tops of your grips. And I can tell you, since I put the club hub sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all of the data surrounding it than I've learned over the 40 years I've been playing the game. Because not only do you get GPS distances to the hazards and to the green, but after your round, you can look back at the images and the layout of every hole in the course that you just played and see exactly where and how far you hit every shot. No other GPS tool on the market captures that, lets you go back and review your round the way the Clubhub app does. It's available for Androids or iPhones, and the app keeps track of your swing speed of every club in your bag, your tempo, your angle of attack, plus you get a 3D view of your swing as well. And again, no other rangefinder can do all that for you. Go over to clubhubgolf.com to order your set of Clubhub sensors today and enter the coupon code NEXT to get 10% off on all products at checkout. Again, clubhubgolf.com, enter the coupon code NEXT, and you're going to get the best GPS and swing analysis tool on the market for a great low price and you'll see your game in a whole new way. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Par Bar. Energy and focus on the course are essential, whether you're playing you know, on tour in your club championship or just your weekend four ball with your buddies. Par Bar is the golfer's nutritional bar that can help you with both of those things, energy and focus. Eat some before you get to the first tee and the rest every three holes until it's finished, and you're going to play with more energy and focus to win. Par Bar was developed by a lifelong golfer and a food scientist to help all golfers play their best. Go online to parbargolf.com and order yours today. We're also excited to be partnering with the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. No mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids at BenHoganGolf.com. They build clubs to your specification and, best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, and bags, plus accessories now at BenHoganGolf.com. <laughs> 